Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. In this week's episode, I speak with Dr. Taubshift about everything intrusive thoughts, how to deal with them, and OCD. Dr. Taubshift has been a registered psychologist for over 15 years, and her clinical work has focused on the delivery of scientifically supported treatments for obsessive compulsive and related disorders, anxiety disorders, depression, relationship issues, as well as a wide range of emotional and behavioral problems. She works with adolescents and adults and is the director and founder of Forward Thinking Psychological Services, a multidisciplinary practice that delivers services throughout Ontario and BC. She's also one of the founding professionals of the Sunnybrook Intensive Services Program for OCD and remains on the staff there doing consultation, supervision, education, and research initiatives. She is also she also happens to be my supervisor for all of my work related to OCD. We hope that this information and learning is helpful for all of you. So today I am going to be speaking with Dr. Marlene Taub Schiff. Did I get that all right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so I don't have a paper which says, Dr. Da, 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 is this, this, that. So instead, you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks. So, okay. In terms of what I do, um, currently I oversee a private practice, which is called Forward Thinking Psychological Services. That's one of the things that I do. And I spend a lot of my time there. Um, At that private practice, we see a lot of individuals that present with symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder, as well as different anxiety disorders, depression, trauma, different life transitions and really a whole slew of other kind of mental health presenting issues. I work with teens and young adults and older adults, and I also run groups and I do individual work. My other associates, some of them also do couples work, family work, do parent coaching for OCD. And we also do a lot of different kinds of groups as well. In addition, though, to my work at the practice, I also do work at uh, Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. So Before being at the practice, I was the team lead for the Thompson Intensive Services Program for OCD for the past five years. I was one of the founding professionals of the program and helped develop the intensive services there. And now I've stayed on in a supervisory kind of consultation role there. And I do a lot of work with um, education and research initiatives. And I'm also affiliated with the University of Toronto in the Department of Psychiatry, And I do work there in continuing professional development and education. Okay. So a lot of stuff, but basically you're doing therapy you're involved in education and you're involved in supervision. So you're getting exactly and you're involved with parents. So you're basically getting multiple perspectives on mental health support. Right. Yes. That's a nice way of saying it. (laughs) Very, very cool. What's that like? You know, many people go get mental health support. I'm curious if you want to just share briefly, what's your experience like? as a therapist on the many roles that you do play, what's it like to be in the room with people in that whole experience for you? Well, I really enjoy it. I think before I was at the residential program, my work was a little more focused with individuals and it broadened 
into working more with family members as I did more and more work with OCD, because we know that OCD uh, lives so much within the family. So there, when we started the program at the Thompson Center, we all were working very closely with our social workers and doing a lot of family meetings and really understanding best how to help people, not just the individuals themselves that were experiencing the symptoms, but also the family members and understanding how to decrease some of the maintenance of OCD. So I think from there, it's really changed my perspective a little bit in terms of just the way that it can be helpful to think of the whole context in which mental health can present. I've really enjoyed that. And I think from that work, I've really brought in my own work to working with younger individuals as well, because my work with teens has been newer, more within the last few years that I've really expanded my work to working with a younger population too. So it's the whole family gamut. And I don't even want to ask more about that yet, because we're talking about OCD. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a big topic today. And OCD has a good friend. It's called intrusive thoughts and OCD and intrusive thoughts often get together. Many people have a strong understanding that there are such there's such a thing as intrusive thoughts it feels more relatable but the word OCD is big I'm believing from what I've heard and been learning about is that OCD is kind of the next big opening in our mental health awareness that is going to be understood in ways that hasn't been yet so for example anxiety and depression everybody talks about they know about it now there's there's a lot more awareness that OCD is the next disorder, if you will, that we're going to learn a lot more about. And I'd like to ask you just generally to talk a little bit about it, what it feels like, what did it's, what's its experience, how it looks for the average person. And of course, anything that reduces something very complicated on many respects into something so small is going to sim- oversimplify. But I'd like you, if you can, <laughs> to distill what OCD is uh, and how it works and how people overcome symptoms of OCD. Sure. That is a big question, but I will try my best. In terms of what OCD is, we can certainly think about intrusive thoughts and people's relationship to intrusive thoughts. And I think that's true of OCD. And it's also true of many other um, presentations. I think intrusive thoughts is something we're starting to think about more in the context of what we call transdiagnostic, which means that intrusive thoughts happen across many different mental health presentations, but sticking to the idea of OCD and intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are really interesting. So when we think about a very important psychologist named Stanley Jack Rackman, who recently passed away, he was able to shed light on this idea back in the 70s that intrusive thoughts are something that are experienced by everyone. So you and me, we actually experience intrusive thoughts too. And we know that intrusive thoughts are often distressing. They pop into our minds without any pre-thought, and they often are not aligned with our values or who we think of ourselves as a person. So because of that, we don't really feel that comfortable when they happen. But most of us, when we experience them, we sort of think, oh, that's weird. Why did I have that thought? And then it kind of floats out as quickly as it floated in. So people with OCD have a bigger reaction to their intrusive thoughts. They have a different relationship to their intrusive thoughts. And they also will see their intrusive thoughts as being more meaningful than someone without OCD. That really starts their whole cycle 
in terms of how they slip into kind of that cycle of OCD. Because once we have an intrusive thought and we start to think something about it, and then it means something about us, we will experience a whole range of emotions. We might experience anxiety, distress, disgust, fear. And if any of us experience those emotions with a lot of intensity, we're going to want to do something about it. And that's when kind of those compulsions and rituals start to happen, right? So Mm -hmm. people very understandably will do something in reaction to their interpretation of their thoughts. I don't know if an example might be helpful. We're going to go to an example. And I intentionally, (laughs) but what I intentionally want to do for our listeners is not use an example that the general public knows about. So typical OCD example is somebody has an intrusive thought that the doorknob is contaminated Mm -hmm. with something and we're not going to get into COVID right now. Right. And therefore that intrusive thought becomes meaningful. They believe maybe I had that thought for a reason. Maybe it means it's real. Therefore I need to do some sort of ritual, either mental in their head where they reassure themselves a compulsive behavior where they have to use a hand sanitizer 40 times, something like that in order for them to feel that they're safe because there was a real threat from that thought. They believed it for some reason, but that's very common. We just have this contamination. Everybody talks about OCD in this contamination in this sort of purity sense, but I want to maybe open it up to some other forms so that people can understand that it's not just physical. It's also not just like the contamination. So what's a good example? So a great example could be a sexual intrusive thought that someone might have even about an animal. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. So that's one that I sometimes talk about when I'm doing some teachings about OCD, because we sort of get into this idea of what people call like taboo thoughts, which, you know, thoughts that people don't want to talk about, but that people experience and they're just harder to reveal sometimes, even when we're in therapy with a trusted therapist. Let's walk through this example where someone is like out in their yard and their their cat's there and maybe they're doing something with their cat and all of a sudden they have a sexual intrusive thought about their cat. Um, Their cat who they love and they, you know, interact with in the most typical of ways, right? But all of a sudden they have this thought and because of this thought, they might then think, "What's, what's going on with me? You know, why am I having a sexual intrusive thought about my cat? Does this mean that I want to act on it? Does, they, does this mean that I want to do something inappropriate with my cat? And they might kind of spin, if you will, off of that thought. And sometimes we think of this as like, you know, going down the rabbit hole, all these thoughts that they'll have as a result of this one very kind of natural, typical, intrusive thought that people might just kind of randomly have about animals, about family, about children, about people that we don't want to necessarily have sexual relationships with, but we might end up having random intrusive thoughts about. So as a result of this intrusive thought, the person's going to experience anxiety and distress, very understandably. Because they're experiencing that anxiety and distress, they then will want to do something to get rid of the anxiety and distress. So it's not the initial intrusive thought, that random kind of image, it's the relationship to that thought because they didn't just have that thought and let it go, all of a sudden it became something about them. It became that because I have this thought, I might act on it. Because I have this thought, it means I'm a bad person or a monster. So I have to either, maybe I have to neutralize this thought somehow. I have to think a good thought to replace a bad thought. I have to, 
do something with my cat to make pet sure the, that pet the cat in a nice pet way. The cat in a nice way. Maybe sell the cat. Honestly, exactly. some people would say, "I can't exactly. even have animals around me anymore." I'm not safe to be around animals. I can't go into pet stores. I can't go to my friends' houses that have cats. It can really go quite far when people are trying to do everything they can because they think that they might somehow be a danger. So the rituals short-term can provide relief because they're like, oh, okay, I've done something to neutralize it. I'm away from cats. I've created this safe space. But long-term, they continue to feed the OCD cycle and just kind of tap into that idea that I might be a bad person. And if I don't do all these things, I actually might be at risk of carrying out these thoughts. For the average person, they don't realize that it's normal. And I think that's the hardest part about it is that yes. it is normal. It's not normal in the sense that people don't talk about it. It's not part of the dinner table conversation. Right. But like you were alluding to with that researcher whose name I, I forget already, that, and, and it was a study also in, that Abra Jonathan Abramowitz talked about, that researchers have no idea how to differentiate between the thoughts of people with OCD and the thoughts of people without. There's no difference right. in terms of the thought content. So exactly. thought content, people have all across the board thoughts, but that person, once they associate it as meaningful, important, it needs to be dealt with, it needs to be done something about, you're saying that that's when the cycle will start because the average person, let's say, they'll have that thought, be like, that was really weird. And then they'll just be like, then what will they do? They'll just move on. They'll just let it go. Yeah. They'll just pass. Like they might just, I don't know if you've ever had an intrusive thought, but yeah, I've had it. Yeah, I've had intrusive thoughts before. And I mean, I think we're so aware of them, obviously, because we might sort of be like, oh, that's that that is an intrusive thought. That idea that you're like, that's weird. Oh, I guess I'll just kind of let that go. I'll yes. just kind of let it float in and out like any other thought, like a thought right. like, oh, it's too bad. It's raining today or oh, it's too bad. I ran out of my favorite cereal this morning. Like it's just like because it's this idea that and that, yes, that study that's by Jack Rackman, it was that idea that up to 90% of individuals that participated in this research, they found that the content of intrusive thoughts experienced by individuals without OCD is exactly the same as the content experienced by individuals with OCD. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that we can't get rid of intrusive thoughts. Why? Because we all experience them. So we can't actually get rid of what we consider to be kind of a typical experience. The same way we can't get rid of your happy thoughts, we can't get rid of your intrusive thoughts. It's this idea that a thought is a thought is a thought, but thoughts are not facts. They're just this like squirt of kind of neuronal juice that's kind of floating around in our brains and causing things to happen. Some of the things make a lot of sense and some of the things sometimes don't. And it's this idea that how do we kind of embrace them all, no matter what the messaging is, and just accept them as being thoughts and not necessarily facts and not necessarily reflections on who we are as a person, which sometimes is really difficult to do. It's definitely difficult to do. And I can imagine one reason why people might be thinking to themselves if they've had this experience, when I see that cat, I, you know, I feel a tingling sensation in my body. I, well, here's the thing, you're, you're building up some sort of just because somebody would have then an arousal of some kind even after that would you how would you respond to someone like that that says every time now i i i think i see the cat not only do i have that thought but i get an arousal of some kind i get sexually charged up it terrifies me like how does how do you respond to somebody like that 
It's a really good question. Anxiety in and of itself also produces a lot of arousal. So when we are anxious, we can have some similar physiological responses that we might have when we're sexually aroused as well. So that's one thing too. Another thing is that as like teens, as young adults, we have feelings of sexual arousal randomly and spontaneously a lot. So we can have it in response to things that make sense and in response to things that don't make sense. And if we're checking into our bodies all the time, we're often gonna find it more than if we weren't actually checking into our bodies all the time. So I definitely talk to my clients about kind of the normalcy of that and the normalcy of just kind of developmentally where we might be at. I just naturally experience sexual responses, whether a cat's there, whether there's someone there that we might actually be sexually attracted to, or whether you like no one's there at all, right? And how do we kind of just get comfortable with what our bodies are doing, whatever the stimulus in front of us might or might not be, and how that doesn't always necessarily mean anything about you as a person. I mean, I would categorize intrusive thoughts. I would just broaden it to say intrusive thoughts or images or doubts or sensations in the body. And the common thread between all of them is that they're intrusive and they're not your choice. And that's, I think, the, the, the most important part to hopefully to understand is that they're not really your choice. Now, we can get into the fact that if someone dwells on certain ideas in a ruminative sense, which we haven't gotten into, that maybe then their automatic thoughts will be more likely to have those. And if they spent less time in rumination, maybe they would come up less, but still they can't be controlled. Right. They can't exactly. be controlled. So it's a losing game if we're trying to control things that are impossible to control. Yes, 100%. And so that is that really one of the main thing that's things that's perpetuating OCD is that people are trying to control things that they have absolutely no control over? That is a huge part of it. I mean, when we think about one of the, we talk about um, appraisal systems that function within OCD. So this is kind of like our thoughts about our thoughts kind of where we get stuck with our thoughts, our challenging relationship to our thoughts. One of those kind of very common, sometimes people call them OCD thought traps. One of the very common ones is called, is called mental control failure. And it's this idea that individuals with OCD commonly will feel that I need to control my thoughts exactly as you're describing, Noah. So really it's this idea like every time I have a thought that's uncomfortable, what I feel is that I need to control it and I need to do something to control it. So the more we feel that I need to control my thoughts, suppress my thoughts, avoid my thoughts, unfortunately it can have like an opposite reaction where it's really causing us to pay more attention to our thoughts, to cause our thoughts to kind of get bigger and scarier and feel like they're more powerful and just be more aware of them rather than letting them kind of float in and out like we do with most other thoughts that we actually have that we're not even always that aware of. And I think this is an important differentiation I want to get to with you is the difference between having an intrusive thought, which everybody has, and what we're doing afterwards that sometimes makes it a bit more challenging to, to be able to let go of. The average person, if, if they're sitting having an intrusive thought, it might last two seconds, three seconds. And so how do you, ex in that moment, accept it? You, like, how do you sort of accept that those thoughts are there without then needing to dwell or analyze into them? I think it is difficult. I think that's the work that people do in therapy 
when they start to do some, what we call exposure and response prevention work, part of what we do at times when people have a lot of challenging intrusive thoughts and they might have even rituals that are kind of mental in nature, which might be trying to undo thoughts, trying to mentally review their thoughts, trying to figure out if they've had kind of bad thoughts. We do thought exposure work. So we might even work with people to just put their thoughts out in the world. You know, this idea of like saying thoughts together out in the world that are difficult, that feel challenging, write out difficult thoughts on paper and kind of, or on post-it notes and kind of put those thoughts all over the place. Journal thoughts that are difficult. And these would be thoughts that are really thoughts, sentences, predictions, um, things that people feel that are really difficult to say out loud, things that scare people. It could be about harm coming to themselves or to someone else. It could be some of those difficult sexual intrusive thoughts that we were talking about. And it's this idea of getting comfortable with putting thoughts out there and seeing like, what happens if I sort of put this stuff out in the world, if I put out kind of what feels like bad energy almost, you know, out into the world and just expose without doing anything in response to it. So that's what can be something that's really important. And, you know, there is a building of awareness over time, right? There is sort of a mindful stance that we're trying to take towards some of these thoughts to be aware that they're there and that we don't necessarily have to do something in response to their existence. And that's tricky. And it is, like you said, it's about slowing things down a little bit, right? Becoming more aware of our thoughts and slowing down what we do in response to having them, which can feel very different, I think, when we first start off this kind of therapy. Well, I think part of it is that when sometimes when people say they have intrusive thoughts, they have an intrusive thought, and then they have all these complex patterns of thinking that are responding to them. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, I want you to talk a little bit about you mentioned that people have certain sometimes mental rituals. So for example, exposure work, we're going to expose somebody to the thought about the cat, we may prompt them and say, Oh, that's a beautiful looking cat or something. I mean, there's very different ways to do it within different value systems. It's yet, it can get interesting. We've, uh, we've, as, as people in the field know, and you want to be careful and you want to work within people's values, but let's say you say to them, you know, Oh, that's a, that's a good looking cat or, Oh, or you just show them pictures of cats or whatever you exactly. And, and then all of a sudden, okay, so that's the exposure. So it's meant to expose them to their obsessive thoughts the intrusive thoughts, plus all the anxiety that comes with it. And then we want to starve the response, which is the compulsion. We, we do that easily, you know, in a contamination sense by, I have an obsessive thought that I need to check if the door is locked. I can't do it. Therefore, I do response prevention. So that's one part of it. But the other part of it is what are they doing in their minds? What is the undoing, these little mental things that we're doing? How do we help people stop doing those things? Because then they learn that they don't need to associate intrusive thoughts with analysis and further rumination. What are some ways that people that are really stuck with intrusive thoughts that get them going in this world of ideas and whole belief systems? And I'm okay. And I'm a good person. I'm actually, let me prove it. Let me go back in my past and name 45 times that I never thought about a cat in that way. How do you, how do we stop people from doing that? I mean, it's hard because it's your brain and there's no off and on switch, right? So I always find that really difficult and people talk about that. 
When you work with a professional, what can be really helpful is to do some of these sessions, these ERP sessions that you're talking about in, in session with your therapist. So they can start to coach you through what it looks like to not go kind of down that rabbit hole and to not engage with the thoughts as they come up. So it can be having the person kind of voice to you what's going on. Like, let's say they even brought their cat into the session, right? Especially in the virtual world, we can work with all of these triggers live, like in their environment. And you can be like, okay, you know, you, there's your cat, walk me through a little bit what's going on, you know, like what's going on in your mind. They're like, well, I'm having these thoughts that whatever those thoughts might look like. And it'll be like, okay, just sit with that, like, let that thought go. And it's almost this idea of like, really supporting them to not go down that kind of figuring out process that mental review process and to sort of almost plan ahead what they're not going to do when they're in that sort of protected exposure time with you and we'll talk about that some people will call it almost this idea of like coping ahead like what are we going to do when we're in session together let's plan out the ritual prevention and what it's going to look like what would you normally do if I wasn't there well I would normally like figure it out and this is what it would look like in my mind okay so I'm going to be there with you. What are we going to do? What is it going to look like? Well, I'm not going to allow myself to. And you're also there as a coach to say, like, the hope is the person is obviously engaged, motivated, wanting to do this. And, oh, well, what I want to do right now. Okay, so stay with me. Stay with my voice. What's going on in your body? You know, and grounding people and keeping them in the moment. If people get really escalated, there's ways we can bring them back to the present moment and really working with people to just kind of stay with what's going on now, as opposed to kind of sinking in and kind of just reviewing everything that's going on. And with enough of that coaching, the hope is that there's some mastery that gets built up and the person can then practice those skills again and again on their own before they see you to take it to the next level. So that's really a huge benefit when you work with a therapist in session is that you get that coaching and before you have to go and try it on your own, which sometimes is just really difficult because the behaviors are so automatic. You don't always even know that you're doing it. Having someone with you to do it. The thing with OCD and the thing with intrusive thoughts is that it's not just the thought in isolation. It's a whole worldview and idea yeah. and belief system. It's a whole planet that people live in. And when you bring yeah. someone else in, there's an opportunity for things to open up a little bit for yourself to see things outside of your own head. But I think what you alluded to there is sometimes there's nothing fancy that you have to do being present and grounding. And the reason why that's even helpful is just anything but their ritual is helpful. And hopefully by the time they're doing their exposures with you, they've already done an assessment and say like, I know I'm not interested really in, in being, you know, engaged in sexuality. I'm not, there's no problem to solve here. I don't want to engage in bestiality. This is not who I am. This is not right. what I want to be. You've already done a lot of that analysis, if you will, in a very structured way with somebody so that when you get to being exposed to it, there really isn't anything to do. Even if you just had a conversation about what's in your room or what's right, even that would be helpful because it's, and it's not to run away from it or hide or not let things be there that might be there. It's just, maybe there's nothing to do. Maybe, right. maybe they just need to be okay with doing nothing about the fact that these thoughts just popped into their brain. Right, exactly. I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, the work we do in ERP, it's about kind of embracing 
our thoughts. It's always about kind of embracing uncertainty because we know this analysis has likely gone on beforehand and people will have done their own evidence gathering. And with many things, you know, when we do psychoeducation at the beginning of our sessions, we might be able to say, hey, you know, we have a long history of, in the example we're going through today, sexual relationships that are very, you know, fulfilling and with humans and etc. And we could say with 99% certainty that this is what I want in life and not from a reassurance perspective, but from an educational perspective, when we first start working with someone. And what I say to people is, the problem is that most things in life 99% feels like more than enough. Right. But when it comes to OCD, 99% doesn't cut it because OCD wants like 101%, which we literally can never have in anything that we do. So we have to get comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable. And that's a huge part of what we're doing in treatment as well. And that's something that I talk about with people that I work with too. Well, there's many different levels. One is that when you don't do your rituals, you sort of learn, hopefully, that you didn't need them. Hopefully, that yes. whatever you were afraid about didn't come true. Yeah. But the other part of it, and we can give an example for thinks that if I don't do this thing, God forbid, I'm gonna, you know, go to go to eternal damnation or something. We can never prove or disprove it. Yeah. So that's why you do that. You do that work before help them maybe develop even, you know, that's why I work with people. I always ask about their spirituality, their belief systems. Can we help them develop a better relationship with their spirituality, with, with God, how, whatever they, however they define things you do, mm -hmm. a, you do quote unquote reassurance, but you're not, you're, you're really doing, you know, cognitive work on helping them see things better. And then you then go into the exposure work where you take that risk. I can't know a hundred percent about yes. my status in some deep sense, but I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay exactly. with that being there. And so what's it look like for people that come through that experience, that come through the other side? What's a typical, you know, people you're working with, teens, young adults, what, what's the one thing that they notice is the biggest difference in their life from before they started to deal with their intrusive thoughts in a more healthy way to after? A lot of people talk about time. They've gotten time back. Like, because they spent so much time in their minds, so much time um, analyzing their obsessions, their compulsions, and it took away from their quality of life and things that they wanted to do. So I do find people will say, I have more time. Like my time is not taken up by my OCD anymore and I have time and what do I do with this time? And sometimes people are sort of trying to figure that out, which is, or they have more time to be the person that they want to be, whether it's to be the parent they want to be, or they have more time to spend with friends. And I think all that stuff is really, really great. And then I think people also start to kind of roll with things a little bit differently. You know, I think when there becomes more of a approach in life where I can never know for sure, and people will say, hmm, you know, I thought, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe it's not, I can't really know. And when I start to hear people talk like that in session, I think this is it, you know, <laughs> like, we're finally embracing, I think what all of us do, um, without even realizing it in different ways, because we all actually navigate the world with uncertainty, we literally don't know every day when we wake up exactly how things are going to unfold. We don't think about that, because that would be very, very unsettling, I think, <laughs> for everyone, if they really thought about that every day. 
But if you really think about it, that is kind of how life works. And I think when people start your faith to say, that your ceiling's not going to crash. Yeah. You. Yeah. You, know? you just kind of think that, or you walk across the street and you think that's going to be okay. You know? Mm. Um, and I think when people start to think, yeah, I did that. And I just, I couldn't know for certain how that was going to turn out, but I did it anyways. And I think, wow, that is amazing. And I'll start to kind of say that to people, like you're really embracing it. You're really living life in a different way. And OCD isn't making decisions for you. You're making decisions. And they're like, yeah, that's true. You know, now I'm calling the shots. And I think that's really, really um, different. That's when things are starting to turn around for people. I mean, the word that's coming to mind for me, just, I mean, because I have, of course, a religious brain as well. And many of us do, even if we're not explicitly like people, the, the ideas, the, the, the psychology of religion, you know, in so many different ways manifest for people, whether they're, they're spiritual, they don't identify in any way. And one of the words that's coming to me is faith or trust. Mm. It's like, mm. I just have to, I, I can't, I'm just going to live. I'm going to try my best. Right. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to live in the world as if things are going to be okay. As if the, like, you know, my house isn't going to. So the roof's not going to fall apart. I'm going to walk through the door and there's not going to be some crazy virus on it. I have to live my life with that because I, if I were to just analyze every possible threat at any possible time, at any possible situation with those kinds of things, it would, I couldn't, I would have paralysis. Exactly. It's, and that's what OCD kind of does to people, right? It is a form of paralysis. People get paralyzed, sometimes walking, sometimes sitting, like sometimes so many things have to be done in a certain way. People will have like a just right OCD, right? Where every kind of movement, every kind of action needs to feel just right. It literally can become physically and mentally paralyzing. And it is kind of loosening things up and taking away that rigidity. I agree. And that's why people, maybe it just becomes easier to not, in, to not live their life. Even though they know that going yes. outside has all these benefits, maybe it's too scary. And then they give up and then they avoid. And so that's maybe slowly what we're trying to do is help people open up their inner world to be more okay with the thoughts, which eventually allows them to do things in their lives that really matter to them. Like yes. going outside and going for a walk. And what is one thing that you want to say to family members that who have people really struggling with intrusive thoughts and OCD? Mm. What's one thing that you just want to say to them? I think one thing that I'd want to say to them is, as well-intentioned as it can be to help your loved one with rituals, it's unfortunately maintaining their OCD. So it can be really helpful to talk to someone to figure out how can I support my loved one without it being by engaging in their rituals or supporting their rituals for them. Because mm -hmm. that maintains their cycle. And even if they're working in therapy to break their own cycle, if then when they're at home, their cycle is maintained for them by others, they never can really make enough progress. So I think that's a really important piece. And it's really, really understandably hard for family members to do that because it can be like, oh, I don't want to like check all the light switches before I go to bed. Like mom, dad, can you just turn them all off for me? And it's like, how much easier is that? Up for three extra hours to make sure the light switches are turned off properly. I totally get that. Um, and that just gives peace in the family, which is parents, that's what we all need sometimes. But there's different ways. And sometimes it's like harder 
before it's easier because we have to break the cycle to be able to stop the accommodation to allow the person to get better. And typically, you know, it could, could be that getting some professional help is the way to go for that. But that is ultimately the way that the OCD will get better for the individual and for the family. It sounds like maybe the most important thing for them to, to do is to be involved in the treatment without with context and with an understanding of what's yes. exactly going on. So even if the if people should get educated and learn about OCD because they have somebody suffering in their family, the way you're talking about it and you talked about parent coaching, it's almost imperative maybe even for a session or for one meeting for parents to come in and to know what are the, what are their, what are the things that they're supposed to do and not do, which exactly. you can give over as a general law or rule. It has to be context dependent, of course. Yes. And so definitely it's, it's get involved in the treatment. Don't just get involved in helping them find the treatment. That's also important because some people are so it's too difficult to even reach out, but maybe get involved even in a small way with the, with the exposures so that you know that you're being uh, an aid and not an abetting of some, of some kind, not, yes. to, make, not uh, to make people feel bad. Um, no. Cause as I said, like it's the best of intentions that parents yeah. do things. It's just, uh, yeah, exactly. As you stated it, like getting involved in a way that's long-term going to be helpful. Right. And the last thing that we want to ask you while we have you here is just, yeah. what's one thing that you want to tell people that are struggling with intrusive thoughts uh, that they might not know, or they're not really sure what to do or how to go next. Of course, this conversation hopefully helped, but is there anything that you'd want to tell them that, that yeah. you think that they should know? I think to remember the normalcy of intrusive thoughts, and I don't typically use that word normal, but it's the normalcy of them um, and the typicalness of them and the fact that they are not alone in experiencing them and to find a clinician that they can speak to that understands that and that will be able to work with them to kind of normalize those thoughts and to help them understand that it's part of what we all experience. And there's a way to have them without having the problematic relationship to them that they currently have. And to be brave enough to be able to share them, because I think that's the hard part. There's lots of people that I talk to that'll be like, you're never going to imagine the kind of thoughts that I have. And I'm like, <laughs> Let me guess. And then, you know, sometimes I think if you talk to someone that's able to say, is it about this or is it about that? And they'll be like, oh my God, those are my thoughts. And I'll be like, I've talked to tons of people with thoughts like this. It can be so helpful to be like, wow, like other people have these thoughts. This isn't just me. I think that's so important to know that a thought is just a thought. A thought is not fact. This doesn't mean anything about you as a person, about your destiny, about what you're going to do in life in terms of anything problematic that you feel you might do. And just to be able to reach out and talk to someone about your thoughts and to be able to change your relationship to your thoughts, because I think that'll put you back on track in terms of moving forward towards the life that you want. Thank you so much. I, I, I would have concurred in the same exact words. So I'm so totally. thankful. We're so thankful for your time. This is again, Dr. Marlene Taub Schiff. And uh, if you want to find out more about her services and what are things are going on, you can do so as well. We'll provide that. But for now, we're just so thankful that we have people in the community, 
in this do, doing this work all the time every day who are taking time to speak with us and and make sure that there's a little bit more awareness even if it helps in a tiny bit then that is worthwhile so thank you so much thanks so much for having me today Noah. and of course a disclaimer this podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy please seek professional help if needed go to www.resolve with two V's dot CA to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out www.resolve that's resolve with two v's dot ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs till next time take care theme song for this podcast is done by the band mokuse no maguro in their song midnight empty street <laughs>